You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was powered and driven by the Holy Spirit. That is the same for you, Christian. The Holy Spirit is your energy source. Power to live vibrantly and obediently does not come from mere disciplines. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God who uses the Word of God to lift your heart back up and give you the energy that you need to press on and persevere. Have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit as your energy source? In today's message from Pastor Tom, you will learn that the Holy Spirit is just that. The Holy Spirit empowers you and helps you to live righteously. He also gives you boldness to share the gospel message with others. You will hear today about the day that Jesus' followers first received the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Not only was the Holy Spirit poured out on them, but if you are a believer in Christ, then He dwells within you, guiding and empowering you today. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 with today's edition of Discover Hope. One of the doctrines that was better returned to the church also during the time of the Reformation was the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people don't think about that at Reformation time, but the Roman church, having lost the gospel, lost their close relationship with God through Christ who sent the Spirit. And because of that, they then tried to connect to God through the church. The church became the surrogate savior through a sacramental sacerdotal system where if you perform these actions in coming to church and if the priest properly does the sacrament for you and performs that, whether it is the mass or penance or whatever it may be, it is through the performance of those sacraments that you then gain access to grace that is infused into you over time and helps you to work out your own salvation or to work for your own salvation. So they had lost the intimacy of connection with God. They'd lost the intimacy of connection with Christ because they didn't really even understand their relationship with the Holy Spirit, that God is right here living inside of the believer and we are connected to him. He lives in us. He prays for us. He fills us and he connects us to Christ himself. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a very practical doctrine, but it is also a Reformation doctrine. I decided, let's just go ahead and study the Holy Spirit. We had our conference on faith for the Reformation, and I would like to develop this doctrine because it's not just important for our doctrine, but for our daily living, our energy. You know that all life is dependent on energy. We need energy. Without energy, our cars would putter out. Our factories would shut down, our cities would grind to a halt, indeed our country would be vulnerable to attack if we did not have energy. Living things need energy also. Plants produce their energy through photosynthesis, animals hunt for it, and we go to McDonald's to get our energy. And then we take multivitamins and Red Bull to, you know, do whatever else we need. We wish we had all the energy in the world, but we don't. And as you get older, you realize you're no energizer bunny. You don't keep going and going and going. Your batteries run out in your bodies. You, you droop over eventually, and you can't beat the drum anymore. Um, what we might not realize is, though that's true of our body, it's also true of our spiritual vitality. And if we are not taking care of our spiritual 
state and our mindset, our soul, if we are not properly feeding our soul, if we are not drinking our spiritual energy drink, then we will become languished in spirit as well. And our zeal and our fervency for Christ, for witnessing, for loving others, for service, it will languish also. And we may continue to perform our duties on the outside, but inwardly the joy and the peace and the power has been sapped from us. We need spiritual vitality. We need the wind of God, so to say, in our sails. We need to not be stuck in the doldrums where we don't feel we can go on. We need to know how to hoist our sails and allow the wind of God, the Spirit of God, to keep us moving forward. I think that when Christians disrupt the flow of spiritual energy to their souls, and that's what we do, we get distracted, we get into sin, and we disrupt that energy. When that happens, the prayer meetings dwindle, and the small groups become less devoted, and the love that we have for one another cools, and witnessing quiets down. And then things like bickering and complaining take their place, and we lose the joy. Spiritual depletion can even happen as you remain active in church. It could be true of you today that you're spiritually depleted, and you know that. You're not quite sure how it happened, but you know on the inside you don't have a burning zeal for God. You don't have a zeal to learn His Word. I mean, you listen, it's your duty, but you're not really opening your heart to listening to the Word of the Holy Spirit. You know about the mission of the church, but you're half-hearted in your commitment to it. And you sit among the people of God, but your love for them is puttered out. This may have happened to you. If that's the case, you need to return to your source of spiritual vitality. You need to go to the spiritual gas pump. You need to pick up the spiritual energy drink and drink it. But do you even know what your energy drink is called? In Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, when Jesus was in the midst of his ministry, and by the way, one of the things we forget about Christ, that is in his humanity, he yielded his, his life to the Holy Spirit, and though he could exercise his divine attributes, he decided in his humility he would not exercise his divine attributes, at least not normally, and he would submit to the working of the Holy Spirit in him. It says in Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was powered and driven by the Holy Spirit. That is the same for you, Christian. The Holy Spirit is your energy source. Power to live vibrantly and obediently does not come from mere disciplines. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God who uses the Word of God to lift your heart back up and give you the energy that you need to press on and persevere. The gospel accounts, the four gospels, tell us that Jesus Christ was constantly relying on that energy source. When we come to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and Christ was about to ascend into heaven, one of the last things he told the disciples is that, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and do not start your mission until you are clothed with power from on high. Who is that? That is the Holy Spirit of God. When Paul was writing to Timothy, the lead pastor in Ephesus, in his second letter, a letter where he was about, he knew he was about to die. He knew his head was about to be chopped off as a Roman citizen um, for his faith in Christ. And he wrote to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 7 of his second epistle, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of, you remember, power and love and discipline. Power, energy. Do you see spiritual power 
and godly love and consistent discipline in your life? Do you see it there? Well, the Holy Spirit is Christ's gift to the church. Christ's wonderful gift to the church in his absence. Why? To indwell his bride, to indwell his church, to teach his church, to empower his church, to bring her joy. I think we can all agree that it is vital as members of Christ's church that we understand what our personal relationship is, not just to Jesus Christ, but to the spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God. I think it's just at this point, however, things begin to break down for many of the churches today. Too many believers don't understand their relationship to the Holy Spirit. They get it wrong either this way or they get it wrong that way. I want to read a longer quote from Dr. John MacArthur in his book called The Silent Shepherd, a book on the Holy Spirit, and I highly recommend it for you. And he explains this present confusion in the modern church. He writes, two errors regarding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit have clouded the contemporary church's understanding of his person and ministry. On the one hand, the charismatic movement is obsessed with the Holy Spirit, tending to focus all doctrine and worship on him exclusively. The danger with an undue stress on the gifts and leading of the Holy Spirit is that personal experience is often elevated over the objective truth of Scripture. On the other hand, many non-charismatics tend to ignore the Holy Spirit altogether, perhaps weary of the controversy, confusion, and subjectivity of the charismatic movement. Too many have responded by going to the opposite extreme. They simply avoid the Holy Spirit in their teaching and study. On top of that, popular evangelicalism as a whole has shifted in recent generations from God-centered ministry to a man-centered approach. Pragmatism rules. The churches are run as a business. The gospel is often viewed as a product for marketing. Spiritual problems are dealt with by psychological means. In short, man-centered ministry virtually operates as if the Holy Spirit were unnecessary. Both errors are spiritually debilitating. If we misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit, or if we ignore the Spirit altogether, how can we comprehend what it is to walk in the Spirit? And I think even in churches like ours, we can think that church programs have replaced the Holy Spirit in our need for how will I mature, how will I be discipled, and we look for inventions and programs of men, which are fine, but we forget that we have always the Holy Spirit of God with us. And if we are not growing, it's because of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're not understanding, as His truth is being taught, how we can incorporate the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives to be more Christ-like. And that's why today we're beginning a series of the endowment of power from on high on believers, on the church. Not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is Christ's gift to the church, to his bride. Jesus had no qualms whatsoever about leaving, abandoning his disciples on earth and rising up above. Why? Because he knew he was about to give them the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to be with them, to transform their lives, to make sure the mission was accomplished. And so it is in Acts chapter 2 that we learn about the Spirit, about power, about our relationship to him, about the church, about how the Spirit works in the church and what he drives forward. 
We will learn throughout chapter 2. What is the church? How did it start? How does the Spirit empower it and work inside of it? How can believers keep their zeal and not be distracted from that? How does God grow the church? How does he extend the church? With all the confusion about church these days, I really want you to see Christ's church in its infancy, in its raw form, so you can put away a lot of the traditions that have happened, a lot of the expectations that are in your mind from other places, and say, well, what really is the church in its basic and raw form? What are we looking for? What do we need to be? Not embellished with years of tradition, not misled with wrong priorities, not marketed to look like the world so the world feels at home in her. But as the Spirit of Christ molded his church to be, And as you look at the empowerment that Christ gave to his church, and it is his church, you will learn how you can be used more of God in his church. So let's open to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to read those four verses. No, we will not get done with those four verses, but we will introduce them. I want to give you a lot of background to Acts 2 because I think it's very important to get the background. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages, tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I love this passage. And of course, this passage opens up the door to all the rest we're going to read, not only in Acts 2, but on into Acts 3 and Acts 4, into the whole story of Acts. All the epistles that are going to be written are going to be written because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The four Gospels that we have. All the New Testament really is launched because of what you read there in verses 1 through 4. Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father had to happen. We've already talked about it. It had to happen because it is only after Jesus was in that exalted state that he would receive from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and then pour out the Holy Spirit on his followers. In Peter's sermon, Acts 2.33, if you look ahead a few verses, you'll see he states this explicitly. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Christ, has poured forth this which you both see and hear. The signs and the wonders that accompanied the Spirit's coming. Back in John 7.39 A little commentary on the life of Christ from John the Apostle was, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Why not? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. First will come Jesus' glorification. Then will come the Holy Spirit. That's the order. God said it had to be followed, and that's what we're reading. That pouring out of the Spirit on the 120 disciples, Jesus himself called the baptism in or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, all of it, was simply to set in order what had to happen for Acts 2 to happen, for Christ's church to be born. In order for the church to be formed, Christ had to give them their great commission so they knew what their mission would be. He had to tell them, wait in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power from on high so they would have the ability to do the mission. And then Jesus said all that he wanted to say. He finished his work and he ascended to the Father above so he could receive the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. 
And of course, the 12th apostle, they took time to make sure that they chose him correctly and they made the right decision so that foundation of the apostles would be laid for the church at the beginning. So all of Acts chapter 1 that we've been in for, what was it, like nine messages, was all about preparation for the spirit in the church. It all pointed to Acts 2. Because Acts 2, 1 through 4, really 1 through 13, is all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Listen, just as the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God to earth, was a greatly anticipated event for centuries, the Jews were waiting for the coming of their Messiah. So also, and don't miss this, so also was the coming of the Spirit of God down to earth. It must be viewed as a momentous event. Many Christians don't get this. That's why it's so good for us to study this together. Acts 2 is absolutely an incredible event. It is no exaggeration to say this is one of the most important events in all of human history. Just like we understand the importance of the second member of the triune Godhead coming down and taking on a little baby's body and becoming a human being among us. And we celebrate it Christmas, anticipated, important. God became a man. The second person of the triune Godhead now is a human being, and it's a fantastic event. So also the third person of the triune Godhead came down to earth in full measure and was poured out on the day of Pentecost to form the church, to empower the disciples, to usher in an entirely new age for mankind. In fact, for our own empowerment, the spirit of Christ and his coming was actually greater Jesus told his disciples that in John 16, 5 through 8, that whole passage, but just part of it. He said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage. The coming of Jesus was an advantage. Would you agree? But he said, my going away from you and sending the Spirit is more to your advantage. You'll be better off if I do this. Spirit came to help the disciples do a great work. It could not be done while Jesus was on earth. He said so. It could only be done when the Spirit of God came to earth. Listen, before Acts chapter 2, there is no church. Now, you may have been in a church that told you there was, but they told you wrong. The church started in Acts chapter 2. It's where it was born. Without Acts 2, there still would be no church. There would just be a group of disciples meeting together. You say, isn't that what a church is? No, that's not what a church is. The church is much more than that. The church is more than a group of disciples. Some Christian families that find a church that happen to believe the same things they believe. Huddling together as disciples, they had that before Acts 2. That was not the church. The church is a group of disciples immersed into the same spirit, formed into a body, connected to the head of Jesus in heaven, empowered to accomplish his purposes. One body joined to one another, empowered with spiritual gifts to serve one another, to be a dynamic body that witnesses and worships and grows. That's what the church is. The church rightly understood as a totally unique community inside this world. It's spirit-led, it's spirit-driven, it's spirit-formed, it's spirit-empowered. The spirit is our Gatorade. He is our gas. He is our generator. He is everything. He is the administrator of the church. Everything starts rolling with the descent of the spirit of the living God. And so this is one of the most important and anticipated chapters in all of the Bible. What amazing things were accomplished on the day of Pentecost. It's no wonder there's a whole group of Christians out there that want to be called Pentecostals. 
What a great thing to be called. I'm not endorsing everything they say. But being identified with this event is a great thing. Pentecost marks the beginning of a new work of God. A work never done by God before in his dealings with man. I think what happened on Pentecost is so startling and so pivotal, it can only be fully comprehended if we widen the screen out a little bit and we take a step backwards and we go back into the Old Testament and we look at what happened then, what happened in the life of Christ, then what happened on the day of Pentecost, and then even going forward, what happened after Pentecost. I want to cover three time periods with you, and I know I won't get to all of them, but I want to do this, all right? We're going to do pre-Pentecost, at Pentecost, and post-Pentecost. And by the way, if you want to know what kind of a believer you are, here's a new name for you. You are a post-Pentecost believer. Abraham was a pre-Pentecost believer, okay? And then there were these guys at Pentecost. And they quickly became post-Pentecost, okay? But we have pre, at, and post. So stay with me because this is going to take some time to develop, but I hope it'll be exciting for you. First, pre-Pentecost. What happened with the ministry of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost? Have you ever wondered? It would be wrong to say the Holy Spirit did nothing until the day of Pentecost. And that is because the Holy Spirit is God himself. And obviously, God was doing things before Pentecost. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13 asks this penetrating question. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? (laughs) Is anybody teaching the Spirit of God? No. See, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is a who. Sometimes we get confused because the Spirit is likened to wind or the Spirit is likened to fire or the Spirit is likened to power. And we say, that sounds like an it. It sort of does sound like an it. Yes, but then he's called a he. And you see that he is a he. He is a person, not an it. In Matthew 28, in the Trinitarian formula uh, used at baptism, it says... There is one name. Baptize them in one name. It doesn't say names. It says the one name of the Father, the Son, and what? The Holy Spirit, right? That indicates the Spirit is a member of the eternal Godhead. He's just as much a person as the Father and the Son are. He's just as divine as the Father and the Son are. One name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That shows equality in one. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 brings the same thing out. Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three people, one Trinitarian blessing. Peter mentions in Acts 5, chapter 4, that if you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to who? To God. Why? Because when you lie to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, it tells the church, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You're a temple of God because God dwells in you. What do you mean God dwells in you? The Spirit of God dwells in you. So if the Spirit of God is in you and you are a temple of God, that means the Spirit of God is God. Did you know that? Where the Spirit of God dwells, God dwells. Jesus referred to the Spirit as a he in John chapter 14 and verse 16 and 17. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's a teacher. He's not an it. He is not some good luck energy field surrounding you. Jesus did not send the force to be with us. No one should want to be one with a force. Cut that out. There is no great thing about being one with a force. That's a big, giant step down. You are one with the Holy Spirit. He's a he, not an it. You don't command him, he commands you. 
That's why the world likes the idea of a force, by the way. They control it. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's to control you. God gave us something better than what the vain imaginations of man have concocted and put on the movie screen. We have the comforter. We have the paraclete, the helper, the one called alongside us. One, Christ said, who's similar to him, the spirit of Christ. He's so similar, he's called not just the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ in Romans 8, 9. That is how Christ dwells inside of me. That's how he dwells inside of you. He promised that he would be with us to the end of the age. How can that be if he's not even here? He is here. His spirit is inside of us, just as he promised us. In times of distress and trouble in your spirit, fear not. In today's message, you heard Pastor Tom teach you that you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. This third part of the triune God provides help and advocates for you. Jesus did not leave us alone, but instead left us with the incredible blessing of the powerful Holy Spirit, a spirit that empowers you and gives you boldness. Prayerfully call upon him for help. We're so glad you joined us today on Discover Hope. We'd like to meet you. So if you're in the area, come visit us at Hope Bible Church. Our Sunday mornings include Bible classes at 9.30 a.m., followed by a worship service at 11 a.m., You can find out more at HopeBible.org or give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to invite you to join us in bringing the kingdom of God and the joy of salvation to our listeners by becoming a financial partner of Discover Hope. Find out more under the Giving tab at HopeBible.org. Be sure to tune in next time to Discover Hope to hear Pastor Tom teach about the times that the Holy Spirit was at work on earth before the day of Pentecost. You will learn about the people from the Old Testament who were indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and you will learn about the limitations the Spirit had in those days. The Holy Spirit is now fully accessible to all those who believe in Jesus Christ, not reserved for certain people. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.